Good day, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to another episode of Unboxing the Faith. With us celebrating the solemnity of the Assumption of Mary this month, we decided to take this as an excuse to dive into the topic of dogmas. And to help us discover all these dogmas, we have Mr. Kinan Tan from the Catholic Theology Network in Singapore. Let us begin. What do you believe? Organ. Eucharist. Saints. Christmas. Tradition. Sacraments. Hymns. Trinity. Easter. Mary. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Our faith is not a question of I think. It's a question of Jesus Christ has taught us through the church. Great. Welcome, Keenan, to the podcast. And be- before we begin this whole episode, perhaps we can have you briefly introduce yourself and maybe your background in theology a little bit. Thanks, Thomas and Ian. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, uh, so I, my, uh, I'm Keenan. I'm from the parish of St. Anthony's in Woodlands in uh, Singapore. Uh, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I was, I'm from the Catholic Theology Network. So this uh, is a uh, network that tries to bring people who have studied theology together. Uh, yeah, then I'll spend, I guess, later you have a question there. <laughs> but for myself, uh, I have studied theology in the Dustin Institute. Uh, so that's the, uh, if you're informed, Dr. Tim Gray, Dr. Edward Tree, they are the lecturers in the Dustin Institute. Uh, so I did uh, the Master of Arts in Theology then, so it's distance education. Uh, I just went down maybe to for my graduation to kind of see the place, but beyond that, for me, theology has always been uh, the way I got to know God and how the way I engage my faith. So I'm very much more uh, le- uh, like to learn, and I see the connections uh, of the all the doctrines that we have in the church and how everything builds upon each other. So it's really been my way of glorifying God by learning more about Him and ultimately sharing also what I have learned. Because, I mean, he's been very gracious to really give me these opportunities to learn. And so that's my uh, background in theology. Yeah. Ah, okay. So as you said, you know, we do have questions planned out. So as you mentioned earlier, you're with the Catholic Theology Network, or CTN for short. So maybe, yeah, you can, can you share with us what this CTN is and why was it set up? Okay, so CTN was, uh, was a gathering of, people who started studied theology. So I, uh, I'm president now, but when it's, I, I'm, a, a, I'm a late member, right? I've been only more active in the past few years, even though I kind of peeked my head in at the beginning, uh, but it was uh, started by uh, a group of uh, people studying theology in the University of Steubenville, uh, in the John Paul Institute in uh, Australia. So these are Singaporeans were studying in these locations, uh, whether distance or some of them did it in physical, but came back to Singapore after graduating. And they just wanted to gather together to be able to continue this. Because generally, like I mentioned earlier, my faith is through theology. And so we like to discuss. Uh, and it's theology, uh, I mean, to dismiss, uh, spell the idea, the church's theology is always growing. When you use the term theology, it really talks about an area where we can continue developing our faith, right? As opposed to our topic today with dogma, where it's fixed point, you need to believe this. So uh, a lot of our faith is not fixed, right? It's uh, We generally know what's right and wrong, but how it's right and wrong has a lot of discussion. 
and that's theology. So people like uh, CTN uh, was a man, we have people gather to continue that pursuit and also to encourage uh, that discussion of theology. So CTN's base now is really just to try to uh, build that level of theological discussion in the diocese. And we really try to also uh, help uh, Singaporean Catholics level up. I think in the same way as your unboxing the faith is uh, right, but maybe taken at a uh, more academic level among the, the members themselves. So uh, we also try to build this team who can go out and share in the parishes. Means if a parish wants to have a talk about a certain topic, uh, they can write to CTN. We try to find a member who's willing to go there and speak. Uh, you know, and so these are things that CTN tries to do in many ways. And uh, yeah, so to, since 2014 uh, till now, almost uh, it's uh, nine years already and it's been going on. Uh, we are still very small, uh, right? So not many people uh, study theology so intensely and would like to give talks, but I mean, it, it is a wide field to, uh, to continue growing in. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously this is a small passion of yours because you said yes to us. <laughs> so you're sharing oh. the faith with us. <laughs> yes, definitely. I mean, it's, it's actually, this is an actual opportunity for CTN also in that way. It is really a part of what we want to do. Mm, all right. So let's not waste any more time and just let's get into the episode, shall we? Now, let's get into the nitty gritty and to start off the episode, we'll head into our favorite library, the CCC, and see, <laughs> the pun there, what it says about dogmas. So we go into paragraph 88 and 89, and it says, the church's magisterium exercises the authority it holds from Christ to the fullest extent when it defines dogmas. That is, when it proposes truths contained in divine revelations, or also when it proposes in a definitive way truths having a necessary connection with them. And then paragraph 89, there is an organic connection between our spiritual life and the dogmas. Dogmas are, the, are lights along the path of faith. They illuminate it and make it secure. Conversely, if our lives if our life is upright, our intellect and heart will be open to welcome the light shed by the dogmas of faith. Now, quite a lot to digest in there, but with that being said, Keenan, could you help us just break it down and also explain exactly what is a dogma? All right, okay, so let's first start with the term doctrine. Okay, we might have heard the term doctrine a lot, okay, and doctrine is basically all the church's teachings in matters of faith and morals. I mean, so everything the church teaches uh, that we have to believe is doctrine. Okay? Uh, dogma is a subset of doctrine. Right? So dogma is doctrine that has been divinely revealed and formally defined and declared to be believed by all. Needs to be believed by all. Okay? Uh, so mentioned, you mentioned, I mentioned earlier things like theology is about uh, ex, uh, exploring, uh, you know, the, the, developing certain uh, uh, doctrines further, right? So theology would be, for example, uh, you know, children playing in a playground and the fence is kind of like uh, the area we can work. So the doctrine will set up the fence, right? This is where we can go as far as we can go. And we are free, uh, theologians are free to within, okay, I won't call myself a theologian, okay, I have to be saying, because real, real, theologians are very, you would be a, kind of like a formal title of somebody next door. So I'm, I'm a lay Catholic who's just quite well formed, right? But theologians in that area, uh, like Dr. Sri, Dr. Scott Han, they would 
uh, you know, dig deeper into the into scripture, into the tradition, and they will uh, develop all these doctrines further, right? So it helps us understand things more, but all within the uh, boundaries of uh, the uh, of doctrine, which is the fence. Dogmas would be a point where the fixtures within this area already. So really, yeah, the playground has a swing. It's fixed in space. It cannot go anywhere further. That's the dogma, right? So it's been defined. It's, in, it's been hammered down. It's in the playground. <laughs> and that's where, and then you want to do everything is it around that uh, particular structure like the swing. So dogmas would be, uh, as we mentioned earlier, and uh, when you read the CCC, right? Uh, these are things where you are in a strict, uh, have divinely revealed, uh, proposed by the church, the teaching authority of the church, and must be believed. Okay, so these factors are things that will define a dogma. So, form and in, in lay speak, it would be a formally worded uh, 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 doctrine. It means you can say, for example, the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity. You know that 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 phrase is something. If you learn a bit about the Eucharist, you'll encounter that phrase, the body, blood, soul, and divinity, right? Uh, that's the dogma of the, the Eucharist. That, that, that white worded phrase tells us everything we must say in that way. We can't suddenly decide to throw out uh, one part of that. So dogmas are uh, that part of doctrine where it allows us something, a fixed point, then we must believe it so that we can explore around that fixed point. <laughs> All right. So... Having said that, let's move into what we're going to talk about today into a little more in-depth, which is the four Marian dogmas, all right? And so just to give a quick recap for the listeners out there, we have four Marian dogmas in the Catholic Church. Number one, divine motherhood, or some might call it uh, Mary, Mother of God, Theotokos. Uh, number two, perpetual virginity of Mary. Number three, the immaculate conception of Mary. And number four, the assumption of Mary. Uh, so let's visit them one by one, shall we? And talk about the history and what exactly they are. So let's start with number one. What is, Keenan, the dogma of the divine motherhood? Right. So the dogma, so these four are fixed points about Mary that all Catholics must believe, right? These are four Marian dogmas that we have mm. all to believe. So divine motherhood, right? Simply put, is whenever we use the term mother of God, right? Mary is the mother of God, and I'm sure if you are, uh, if you have encountered uh, sincere Protestants who think we are wrong, this would be one of the things they would bring up, right? Uh, Mary as mother of God, and how do you understand this? Okay, uh, I think it's important uh, uh, to, that the Marian dogmas is helps us to understand more about Jesus. So when the Church declares the Marian dogma, it's never for Mary's sake, right? So we it's never to Oh, let's just clarify this about Mary, and that's for a uh, lot. Uh, no, it clarifies, let's clarify this about Mary because it impacts Jesus, all right, and how we understand Jesus. And so the confusion, normally dogmas are declared because there's confusion and challenge. And the last two Marian dogmas, Assumption and Immaculate Conception, are challenged by our Protestant uh, brothers and sisters a lot. And so until only 1854 and 1950, then the church decided, okay, there's enough confusion even among the lay people now that we need to say these are what we must believe. Okay, so these are the Marian dogmas. Okay, so Mary, mother of God, right? From the early church, okay, it is a Greek title. All right, so the Greek fathers, okay, and for most of us Catholics in Malaysia and in 
Singapore, we are Latin Catholic, so we are Western Catholics, right? So we uh, our, our master Latin, right? We you know I've grown up the Greek, right? Okay, and we don't speak Greek in our uh, our master. So the Greek fathers are those from the Eastern Catholic part, right? They uh, uh, which we might not be as familiar with, but there's a whole realm of the church which is so interesting for. Okay, but I guess that's a, a podcast for another day. So, so the Greek fathers, right, uh, uh, had the term, and you mentioned earlier, theotokos, right? Theotokos, uh, which translates roughly to the one who gave birth to God or God-bearer, right? Uh, another more commonly understood term. So this God-bearer, right? And this reference to theotokos is very early, early in, uh, in, in church history, right? Around the... Uh, 200s, there's an ancient prayer to Mary called the Satum Um Presidium. Okay, so that's the Latin title, right? The Greek title I will not try to pronounce because I'll, it'll be worse than my Latin. So, <laughs> so it, uh, we are familiar maybe with the, the prayer, we fly to your patronage, O Holy Mother of God, despise not our prayers and honesties, right? So we hear, hear in that part, O Holy Mother of God. And then in the Greek version, O Holy Mother of God would have been the Orthodox. And we know that this prayer was used in liturgy, right? So it was used in the Mass very early on in the 200th century. So it's something that the early Christians really believed in, okay? Uh, so, but unfortunately, in 429, right, uh, the uh, AD, right, the uh, Archbishop of Constantinople named Nestorius had doubts about this, okay? Uh, so... Archbishop of Constantinople is not some small archbishop. Like, okay, I, I, I don't mean anything bad about my archbishop. He just got uh, uh, elevated cardinal, but for example, who is Singapore in the Catholic Church, right? <laughs> right? We are one small, we are small diocese, right? If, you know, the you might have heard of the, maybe the Archbishop of uh, Manila, right? Wow, you know, bigger lah. These titles are big. These be bigger city, Catholic cities, right? In that way, the Archbishop of Constantinople would be very big. The Patriarch of Constantinople would be a very big person because Constantinople is one of the five ancient seas, right? So it's one of like these centers of the ancient faith of the faith, and so Nestorius is his name, and he and his followers said that it was not compatible that to say Jesus was. Uh, about the okay, so it's not compatible for to say that uh, you know uh, that Jesus was uh, uh, Mary was mother of God and that she should be Christotokos means the one who gave birth to Christ of Christ bearer, right? Because it doesn't sound right. God will have a mother, so they tried to separate his humanity from his divinity, and Nestorius claimed that there are two separate persons in Christ, so one divine and one human, and so this question comes out. Right. Eventually, the question of who are you is a person-centered one. Right. So we are talking about this. Ask somebody who are you. We are talking about who are you is a person, and I will answer that question. I'm Keenan. Right. So can you imagine if you ask the Jesus this question, who are you? How is Jesus going to answer? I am right? a Jewish carpenter. <laughs> yeah, he is a single person. I am the God Man. You want to say is there's no two persons in God? And it says I am. He'll give one answer. Right. I am the Son of God. I'm the God Man, Jesus. And so there's no way to separate Jesus' divinity and his humanity. And so in that way, uh, we can say that Mary is his mother because she gave birth to a person. She didn't give birth to his divinity, right? But she gave birth to the person, Jesus. And mothers give birth to persons. Your mothers gave birth to y'all. We are persons. And so this is 
So rightly said, Mother of God is to recognize that Jesus is his a single person, one divine person, right, with two natures, a human and a divine nature. And so, okay, just to end up this section, I, uh, Mother of God may not be in scripture, but we have the closest reference, which is Elizabeth calling Mary, Mother of my Lord. Okay, and this is in Luke 1, 43. And though Lord can be used in many ways, we know Lord is also a reference to God. And Mary's, after hearing that from Elizabeth, said all generations will call her blessed. And she will be blessed because she has a single grace of being mother of God. Ah, okay. Thanks for the quick introduction into the history of the mother of God, which is quite interesting, actually. We'll probably dive deeper into this in some other podcasts. Lah. But anyways, let's move along to the second dogma, which we will talk about is perpetual virginity. All right. Okay, so the dogma of Mary's perpetual virginity is worded this way. We believe that Mary was a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Jesus and for the rest of her life. So Jesus' birth was a miraculous one, right? So how does this matter for us? So we mentioned it always goes back to who Jesus is. And the matter is that it confirms and clarifies Jesus' divine origin. Okay. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, we already know when Jesus started doing miracles, when he went back to Nazareth or his hometown, he doesn't have Nazareth, but his hometown, right? They said that his, his hometown people were not able to accept him. They said, isn't this the son of the carpenter? Right? So, because they kind of grew up with him and they knew his origin. Right? Oh, they knew his father, knew his mother, so they were very confused by this. Okay? So it will be more confusing for us 2,000 years later if Jesus, Mary really had other children, right? To know the origin of Jesus, right? It will be even more confusing because okay, uh, if Mary went around and she had half-brothers, uh, you know, Jesus had half-brothers and sisters of uh, from Mary, then there will be a confusion first on who is his father, right? Is it is it really Joseph or God, you know? Is it really God? This is it's a bit dubious here, right? Okay. And so this is uh, that uh, this confusion might lead to rejection of Jesus. So I think this is a very important dogma to really help that Mary was for perpetual virgin. She did not have any other children, and hence there can be no confusion on who Jesus's father really is. Okay, uh, so this is clear because no one can point and say, "Yeah, actually, Jesus, Joseph, and Mary really, you know," but. They just want to claim some, uh, some, uh, some, something funny like uh, this kind of thing. So cannot. So another point of perpetual virginity is that it's just appropriate that the womb of that boy Jesus, right, who is God Man, right, the holiest person, uh, you know, in all history, right, could bear another child. It, it's like more like when we go for mass, you know, the consecrated vessels on the on the altar that the priest uses, the chalice and all, are only used for mass. The priest doesn't go back to the sacristy after that and fill it with coke and drink from it, you know, as a cup of these thirsty. No, no such thing. These are sacred. Mm. They have been consecrated. And Mary was consecrated to be, uh, you know, uh, the mother of God. So in that way, her womb would probably fittingly not be used for another child. Okay? So when we look to uh, scripture, very simple. Uh, again, uh, as most modern dogmas, there's no explicit, like, oh, I am the immaculate conception inside it, so we don't have, but 
we tease it out, right? Uh, the, in Luke, Mary says, you know, how can this be since I am a virgin, right? When she answers, and uh, Gabriel tells her that she's going to bear a child. How can this be since I am a virgin? And this question is a funny question because at this point in time, Mary is married to Joseph. Okay, so uh, when the Bible writes that Mary and Joseph were betrothed, betrothal is not engagement in uh, Jewish culture at that time. Betrothal is marriage, first stage of marriage. Second stage is when they have a place and uh, Joseph will bring her to the place and they'll live together and then consummate. So Mary is officially married to Joseph, but she still says, how can this be since I have a virgin? And Mary is born in the time where, and like now, it's no illusion to how babies come around, right? <laughs> uh, husband, wife will come together and they'll have a baby. She knows this. She grew up in a culture where they will know this. So this question only makes sense if she intended to stay a virgin. You know, how can this be since I do not know men, since I am a virgin that way, right? How can this be since I know not men? That's the proper scriptural reference, right? And so this is just an example of, oh, how, uh, how Mary intended to stay. Okay, a, a sign, a, 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 a dot along. Another thing is when Jesus stays behind in the temple, right? Uh, Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph went around their kinsfolk and acquaintances to look for him. Mm. Never do they mention Mary went up to the older children or her other children to find. It makes sense, right? Uh, I'm brothers and sisters. When my mom would, uh, uh, when my mom, uh, when one of my brother, when my brother or my sister went to uh, get lost, my mom will come to me and what's your brother, what's your sister? Uh, you know, she, she'll go to each other. So in a sense, since there's no other children around, there's a point, that's another key sign in scripture. Okay, like I said, these scriptural passages are really just signs. They don't kind of confirm, but kind of uh, help us to understand and point us in the right direction. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's about the perpetual virginity. And now we go into something that is a little bit more recent. I forgot when was it. Oh no, my notes are gone. <laughs> anyway, 1854. 1854. Thank you, Keenan. 1854, the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. So let's talk about this for a while. All right. In the Apostolic Constitution, in the Ineffabilis Deus, Right, um, in, in, in 1850s, practicing it before we came online, <laughs> and I still butchered it. Okay, so Pope Pius the Ninth, right, he declared, all right, in this statement, we declare, pronounce, and define the doctrine which holds that the most blessed Virgin Mary, in the first instance of the conception, by a singular grace and privilege granted by Almighty God in view of the merits of Jesus Christ the saviour of the human race was preserved free from all stain of original sin is a doctrine revealed by God and therefore to believe and constantly, uh, believe firmly and constantly by all the people. So was preserved free from all stain of original sin. All right. So uh, this, okay, so this doctrine, uh, this dogma we believe is not a necessary dogma. So what I mean is that the, the question could be, Mary need to be sinless so that Jesus can be born. Because if we say that, then it needs to go back. Does Mary's mother say Anne need to be sinless? Does uh, Mary's uh, grandma, uh, grandmother, whoever said Anne's mother, want you to be sinless? That goes back, right? This kind of question. So it's not necessary. But we see the church feels it's fitting and appropriate. All right? Because it tells us again about who Jesus is. That he is, right, uh, the holy uh, son, only son of God. And his mother needs to be holy, specially prepared by him. So same as the perpetual virginity, it's just that Mary is 
uh, Jesus is just so important. God really prepared somebody so well for him, right? Uh, to really bring him into the world. And so it tells us how special Jesus was. And of course, Mary is lucky to receive that grace, right? Uh, uh, so these are things in comparison. Uh, I lived uh, in the Ark of the Covenant, right? We know the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was made of the finest material, right? So this was, in a sense, and it was made of the purest material possible. And so this is an example. Mary, who's the new Ark, was really made pure, just like the old Ark was. Uh, the church says that Mary needed to be saved, okay? So sometimes people might say, hey, if Mary's free from sin, of original sin, then she don't need to be saved. But no, the church says that Mary needed to be saved, and it's defined this way. And we, most of the church uh, normally uses the, the formulation of the Franciscan uh, dance quotas, right? And he put it this way. Mary was saved uh, differently for how we are saved. Imagine we are going to walk into a pit. Most of us would have fallen into the pit, got dirty, but someone helped us out of the pit. So that person saved us because he helped us out of the pit. But someone like Mary was going to walk into the pit and stopped before they fell in, right? So you could still say that person saved you from the pit, but, but saved you in a different way. And so this is Mary's uh, special grace. God saved her before she could contract original sin. The rest of us were saved after we contracted. So after we fell into the pit, we are saved. Mary, God saved her before she could contract original sin. But both ways, Mary was saved. So her sinlessness does not mean somehow she was not saved. She was saved. Okay. So for God's grace for us, it is therapeutic. God's grace, uh, therapeutic. But God's grace for Mary was preventive. It prevented her from receiving the stain of original sin. Right? So a scriptural reference you can think about is that when angel Gabriel uh, talks to Mary, he says, hail, full of grace. Okay, all of us know the hail Mary. It's like, hail, Mary, full of grace. But in scripture, it's hail, full of grace. Uh, in certain Bibles, it's hail, fine, a highly favored one. Okay, so this is a title. You notice there's, in the Bible, there's no name. Mary's not named because the name is the title she's given. Given. So same like how I go to Archbishop and I go over to the Bishop and say, hi, Bishop. But I don't use his name because his title describes who he is. And this phrase, full of grace, in Greek is kikaretomene, right? Okay, so kikaretomene is a special Greek term. Uh, that it ha The tense is the called the perfect passive, passive participle. This is a tense that doesn't exist in Singapore, uh, in Singapore sorry, in English. <laughs> okay, doesn't exist in English. All right, so it means a completed action with a permanent result or a continuous of a completed action. So when we translate, try to translate it best, it would be completely, perfectly, enduringly endowed with grace. All right, so we have to stretch out, but I think Bible's to write, hail, completely, perfectly, enduringly endowed with grace is a bit too long. So they use full of grace, okay? So... This term, hence, shows the, the, that Mary was completely, right, uh, zero, completely full of grace, perfect with all grace. Means perfect, meaning everything was grace, right, and continues to be endowed with grace. Uh, okay, and, and this continues till the end of time, right? So it's, it's not. It's, it means there's no point of stopping. Right? So it, it wouldn't be like uh, ten years later suddenly happened. So 
And so we feel this Kekar uh, Tomene is a kind of scriptural uh, text for us to understand Mary's complete uh, uh, receiving of grace and being perfect in that way. And so again, the, this uh, scriptural text does not prove, right, uh, Mary's uh, immaculate conception, but it gives us harmony with the doctrine of scripture we see. So it doesn't contradict scripture. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you for that. Now, Kenan, we go to the last one, the dogma of the assumption. Now, before that, um, just to do a quick recap for the last three. I think the last three all talked about um, how this dogma reflects the nature of Jesus, right? So we have the divine motherhood talking about the mother of God, being Jesus being God, and then perpetual virginity talking about uh, how Jesus, you dispel all confusion whether Jesus had brothers or sisters or not. This Jesus is one, okay? Uh, one, one, one son. Uh, dogma of immaculate conception. Something that is so pure must come from something that is so pure. <laughs> so the dogma of the assumption, the most recent one, um, how does this also reflect uh, the nature of Jesus? Mm, so I, 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 it's, I think it comes across quite clear once you hear the dogma. Okay, so in 1950, all right, in the Apostolic Constitution, Munificentissimus Deus, right, by Pope Pius XII, all right, so you have to declare the, the Marian dogma uh, and your Pope decide that they pious. Okay, so we pronounce, declare, and define it to be divinely revealed dogma that the Immaculate Mother of God, the Ever-Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed the body and soul into heavenly glory. All right, so the word assumption, right, means taken up. So God took up Mary, okay? and uh, this after we've had all the earlier dogmas uh, about also and what we understand about Mary, which Mary being the first and most perfect disciple of Jesus, right? We all of us use Mary as an example of disciplehood, right? To be a good disciple, the assumption it, when we talk about Mary's assumption, we are also hoping for an assumption of our own. Ours may not be maybe uh, uh, now, right? But we as Catholics, we believe that we will be raised up uh, with our bodies and we will go to heaven. So we will experience an assumption at the end of time. Okay? And so what this tells us, first of all, is that if we are faithful like Mary, we will have our own glorious assumption uh, at the end of time. And then we come to the key. What does this tell us about God? God will keep his promise. Mm. Right? God promised that we will be with him. He has many uh, rooms in his father's house. So we will be with him at the end of time. And he took Mary to show that if you are faithful, like my mother, right? That, which, you know, in the gospel, somebody said, you know, blessed is the woman who uh, the, that bore you, right? Then Jesus said, no, blessed are those who hear the word, hear the word of God and keep it. Right, uh, so which he refers to all of us, right? Uh, so these are very important that we really, uh, really keep true to Jesus and we keep close to Jesus, right? We will be assumed. God will keep His promise, and he, we will be with Him. So this tells us about Jesus, right? That He loves us so much, He is going to break. Uh, he, we can trust in His promise. That no matter what, as long as we keep close to him, whether suffering we encounter, whether uh, you know hardships in life, just keep faithful. We will be with him in heaven one day. 
So it is, uh, you know, it's not something, uh, uh, it's not fitting for the uh, body of Mary to see corruption, right? Uh, in this lifetime, so he assumed it will not be fitting for us also in that way, right? When we are assumed, of course, at that time, there won't be corruption because we'll be uh, in our virtual bodies, but uh, we will be then assumed and be with God in heaven. Uh, the scriptural passage for this one, clearly for us, is Revelations, right? Mm. Uh, when we see in the, when, you know, uh, John sees the uh, uh, in the sky the Ark of the Covenant and is revealed to be a woman. And the woman is then taken by God, right, and kept in a place in the oasis. So this is the scriptural passage for the assumption of Mary and how it will be connected. Uh, I can, don't mind, I just tie all four. I think we can use the Ark of the Covenant as a very good example of tying all four, right? Because Ark of the, if we look into scripture, the old Ark of the Covenant, right, was made with purest materials, right? Was untouchable. Uh, if you all don't know, you can read 1 Chronicles 13, 9 to 10, where Uzzah touches, uh, one of the people carrying the Ark touches the Ark and he dies, right? Because God said never touch the Ark, but he touched the Ark and he died. Right, uh, and then we see it held three items, right? The manna, the uh, stone tablets carrying the commandments, and uh, Aaron's rod, and uh, right, and ultimately it was uh, hidden and lost uh, to protect it from the uh, invading Babylonians or Assyrians. I cannot remember, right? To protect it, right? So this is the old ark, and we know Mary. We in, one of the titles we use for Mary is the new ark, right? So in comparison, she was made, Mary was made into purest material, so she was immaculate conceived, right? Her perpetual virginity, we can compare it to Uzzah, right? Then the ark couldn't be touched by human hands. Mary couldn't be touched also in that way, right? So Joseph did understand that pureness. Mary was the mother, uh, the ark contained the three items. Mary is the mother of God. She contains the equivalent of the three items. The manna, which is in the desert, is Jesus's, the Eucharist, right? The stone tablets, Jesus is the new law, and ultimately the uh, Aaron's rod, Jesus is the high priest, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the ark carried the tri uh, three items, Mary carried Jesus, the new three items of sorts. And lastly, the assumption of Mary is when the ark is, is taken into heaven, In for example, in John's, uh, John's vision, because the ark was lost, then we finally only see it in Revelations where it's in heaven, right? Uh, and it's revealed to be the woman. So in some sense, you can see that uh, Ark of the Covenant and then happening. Mm, okay, that's really interesting. Okay, now just a follow-up question that is probably often asked on the solemnity of the Assumption is this question, did Mary die before her Assumption or did she go to heaven while she's actually still alive? Maybe you can shed some light on that. Okay, so this is undefined. Aha. <laughs> and... Theologians are free to continue discussing and developing this. Okay, uh, so the Eastern Catholics have the tradition of the Domitian of Mary. All right, uh, uh, as Western Catholics, we uh, normally will say she died. Okay, but it is not, uh, this it is, it is really still up, uh, in a sense, up for some discussion. Uh, what we know is that uh, this is a small T tradition, right? Uh, when Mary died, okay, uh, then she was buried. St. Thomas was not around, right? Mm. And he had come back uh, slightly a few days after Mary had passed away. And he was like, oh, I want to see Mary. And they go and dig up Mary and she wasn't there. 
Okay, so Paul said Thomas, right? We always kinds of misses things. So, <laughs> all right, but this whole idea then of whether she died or not is uh, really for this uh, discussion. Uh, the point here, most people, uh, the theologians will say, is that sin uh, leads to death, right? So since Mary didn't sin, she wouldn't have died, right? And so that's why there's this whole idea, she just fell asleep and then after that was taken up. Okay. Uh, however, Jesus didn't sin either and he died. So, right? Okay, I'll show you my argue that, oh, you know, he was tortured and uh, killed, right? So that's different from Mary who falls asleep. So, but I guess that's really where we have to explore uh, about. I Ultimately, I think we'll never get an answer on earth for this one. Uh, we'll never uh, really know for certain. And to me, if she fell asleep, and then you buried her. She kind of died, even though you said sleep. So, uh, so, so to me, it's it's really a question of what we mean by a sleep, uh, right? Because the Bible also uses sleep as a synonym for death, right? Uh, you said many things when sleep, because uh, sleep is another word for death. So uh, I think it is up for discussion. Any good Catholic can hold either position. Right, you could say she died, or you could say no, she didn't die, and you are a good Catholic. There's no uh, uh, no uh, dogma or <laughs> to say you have to believe one way or the Could this change? Well, maybe some hope in the future might uh, you know uh, send something, but at this point of time, I don't think there will be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is a problem for the future Catholics out there, lah. Yes. <laughs> not not in our lifetime, right? <laughs> not, not in our lifetime at all. <laughs> okay. Now that we know a little bit more about all these dogmas, I just wonder, why was it necessary for the church to be a little extra, so to speak, to decree these infallible teachings? All right. So I think uh, uh, it's really to challenge uh, some of the uh, to challenge some of the, the heresies that are coming up. The two latest dogmas is definitely, I think, because of Protestantism in general, which was also affecting Catholics themselves. Right, who are getting confused. I, 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 we can see it among now. Some Catholics, some young Catholics I know will say, Mary not so important one in the faith, right? Very sad, very sad. Mary is very important to the faith, right? Of course, she's not goddess. Right? We all recognize that. But she is really a miracle maker. Uh, you know, she's really somebody who has this close relationship with Jesus that we cannot deny. Right, and to to say she's not important would uh, be a sad thing, like, So you can see the the, the impact already that's having even among our Catholics nowadays, right? And so I think these dogmas, like the, even mentioned the theater cost, why they why they had uh, they had to counter Nestorianism. So the church probably normally pronounces this dogma, whether Marian or otherwise, is really to set it straight in the confusion about that particular doctrine. So this is how it's worded. Everybody must believe this. So no confusion, huh? You must believe this. Uh, so these things really counted, as you mentioned, Nestorianism, maybe some Protestantism, and the perpetual virginity. To be honest, I didn't. I didn't come out why. I think it's really just to be clarified on Jesus' sonhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does help that you have someone to tell you. Okay, this is straight. This is a circle. This is a square. Something like that, right? It is. Mm. Very good. Yeah. All right. So. We are running short of time, but before we end, Keenan, any advice for our listeners who might just want to dive deeper into Catholic theology? Wow. Start reading. 
uh -huh. right? I think uh, there are very popular books out there, uh, right? Written by good uh, writers, Dr. Scott Hart, uh, Tim Gray, Dr. Eritri. I mean, I'm quoting Dr. Eritri and all because they are my lecturers, so I know their books are good and solid. Popular level, right? Very popular level. I mean, they're not academic texts, but uh, but written popularly so you can get a, a sense. Uh, I If your parish has a subscription to form, there are a lot of good uh, videos. So if you're not the reading kind, videos are very good to just watch and do. And I think uh, you should dedicate time in a week to continue uh, developing your faith, right? Uh, please set aside an hour, at least a week, to just continue reading, hearing a good podcast, maybe unboxing the faith, for example, right? To, uh, you know, uh, to learn more about the faith. Uh, this is basically deepening because theology ultimately is contemplating God. And it is very sad to say, just imagine I say to my wife, right? Uh, or your loved one, actually, I don't need to know more about you, right? This, you know, that doesn't make sense. The more I love my wife, the more I want to find out more about her. The more that I love somebody, I want to find out more about her, uh, that person. So the more you love God, you should find out more about God. And God is infinite, right? So these things we do now, there's always much more to learn. There's no way you can learn enough about God, right? Uh, so keep reading and keep just growing in your faith and learning. And that is, uh, I mean, a part of the whole developing of faith formation. And one day, if you if that's your call, you might become a theologian. At least you really need to learn it to an academic level and you might start delving deeper, asking questions that no, uh, might have no answers. Like whether Mary died before assumption. <laughs> no, you might you might explore that further, right? Epic, uh, 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 academic paper. That I mean, that's really the academic uh, slant of theology, but not just keep faith. For me, let's say basic level theology, form our faith well by reading and watching and listening. Mm -hmm. Podcast only 45 minutes, or you know, sometimes a bit longer. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm and sorry, also, I, I went on and on. <laughs> Yeah, no worries, no worries. But anyways, I like the part where you mentioned the more you love someone, the more you want to know. I think the 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 reverse is true as well. The more you know someone, the more you love them. Yeah, and the more you know God, the more you love God as well. Yeah. All right, Keenan, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge on this topic and just being so lively on this uh, rainy night for us here. <laughs> That's right for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, a reminder to our listeners that this coming Tuesday, the 15th of August, 2023, uh, is the Solemnity of the Assumption, which is a day of obligation for us in Malaysia, Singapore, and also Brunei. So, see you guys in church, okay? Don't skip. Now, for any parish updates, you can refer to our website and our Facebook and Telegram accounts. Also, follow this podcast so you know when our next episode comes out. Or you can head on to podcast.christophsaman.org to catch up on all the episodes. Until then, see you guys. Unboxing the Faith is brought to you by the Social Communications Ministry of the Chapel of Christus Aman. <laughs>